0: All right, so this, um, this Sabbath, I actually want to get back to my theme um, of the agrarian life of the ancient Hebrews. But I'm going to be moving from the horticultural um, side of, of um, agriculture to the husbandry, um, to the subject of husbandry. And more specifically, the role of a shepherd in ancient Israel and the entire Near East for that matter. So I'm sure everybody is familiar with Psalm 23 Even those vaguely familiar with uh, the Bible can usually quote some or all of the psalm. Uh, Even myself growing up just outside of the faith was taught this psalm. So we all know the opening line. All right, thanks. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now I'm actually going to come back to this psalm a little later and spend a little bit more time talking about it. But first, I I want to look into what a shepherd is and uh, actually follow is the, the role of the shepherd throughout scripture. So let's see if we, all right. So <clears throat> Merriam-Webster Dictionary actually defines the shepherd as follows. A person who tends sheep, or a pastor. It's actually a real short definition. And um, as a verb it's, you know, shepherded, shepherding, shepherds. Uh, to tend is a shepherd. But it also means to guide or guard in the manner of a shepherd. It's a pretty basic. It's a, a sheep herder. This may seem like a boring job, you know, kind of low on the list of preferred career paths to many. You know, you have doctors, lawyers, engineers, architects, project managers, journalists, operators, truck drivers, laborers. You have farmers, and then you have shepherds. Well, that is it, I guess, at least in the eyes of the world. However, to me, <clears throat> really, there isn't a more noble or idealistic career than that of a shepherd. In the book, Durable Trades, Family-Centered Economics that Have Stood the Test of Time, the author, Rory Groves, lists and ranks 63 different occupations um, that have, as the title suggests, stood the test of time. But the number one occupation in that book, he actually takes 63 different occupations, the number one occupation that stood the test of time has been a shepherd, And then just to give you an idea, I kind of threw the top ten up there, you know, so a shepherd, a farmer, midwife, gardener, woodworker, carpenter, painter, cook, brewer, and top ten was rounded out by an innkeeper. In the Hebrew, the word shepherd actually carries um, a much, uh, well, I should say the Hebrew word for what's translated as shepherd carries a much more robust and fuller meaning than our English word shepherd. So the word is, um, it's from Hebrew, um, the Hebrew seventy four sixty two in the Strongs, and it's ra'ah, and it's, it is a primitive root, and it means to tend a flock, to pasture it um, intransitively, to graze, um, and it also means generally to rule, to be a ruler by extension to associate with as a friend, and it's uh, made up of the resh, ayin, hay ra'ah. In the ancient Near East, one's wealth was actually measured by how large and how strong his herds were. And as we're about to see, some of the most noble and respected men of scriptures were shepherds themselves. So let's crack open our Bibles and dive into the life of the shepherd. Now, like most important things of value in scriptures, you don't have to go much further than the beginning. So we're going to start in Genesis 4. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering. So Adam and Havaz second son, dedicated himself to the life of a shepherd and brought the firstborn of his flock as an offering to Yahweh. We know that this later on in Torah becomes uh, becomes a command for Israel to bring the, first, the firstborn of their flock, one out of the, every ten they're supposed to bring. Now, kind of a side note here is referring to this offerings. I just don't want to just kind of pass over it and but it's my belief and understanding that Yahweh did not have regard for Cain's offering uh, because he didn't bring his first fruits. It just says he brought of the fruit of the ground. It never said that he brought the first fruits of his ground. Uh, so that's at least my take as to why Cain's offering was not um, was not acceptable to Yahweh. But so here in this verse we see that from the very beginning shepherds exist, and it doesn't say it explicitly. Um, but I would say that. Abel had to learn his trade from somewhere so sometime after coming out of the garden I would think that Adam himself became a shepherd and would keep sheep. So when it comes to career paths you can't go wrong with a farmer or a husbandman or that's just another term for a keeper of livestock. They were there in the beginning and they will be there in the end and into the kingdom. Like I said before It's more than just a job, though. It's actually a lifestyle that, in my opinion, that we were actually created to be. Uh, As a shepherd, you're actually connected to creation. Spending night and day with the flocks in the wilderness pastures. Spending time with the animals. Watching day turn to night and night into day. Being in tune with the weather and the seasons, wildlife, and the whole patterns of life that exist. I actually believe that it was this keenness to the creation and the creator that allowed Yahweh to effectively communicate with the patriarchs and the prophets. In reality, the patriarchs are prophets. It's just a lot of people don't really think of them that way. Now let's keep rolling along with our study. So from Seth to Adam, (coughs) Havah's third son, uh, and then on to Noah, or from Seth, Adam and Havah's third son, to Noah, The genealogies don't really give us any specifics as to their trades, but we can speculate that some or most of them were shepherds as well, based on those that came before and after them. Now, it's not until we're introduced to Abram in Genesis 11 that we get an in-depth look into a character of the scriptures. But we aren't actually given any clues about his occupation until Genesis uh, 12, where in verse 16 we are told, And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. We see that Abram, later to become Abraham, had great wealth and livestock. And then we find in Genesis 13 that Yahweh caused Abram and his family to prosper. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. The word uh, herdsmen here that's translated as herdsmen is our Hebrew word ra'ah for shepherd. So Abram and his nephew Lot actually had their own company of herdsmen or shepherds, so many so that they had to separate and because the land couldn't bear them both living together. We know how that turned out for Lot, but we know that it turned out well for Abram. Now, someone in today's society might ask why a bunch of livestock would make you wealthy. Well, for one, sheep and other livestock multiply much fast, faster than cash in the bank, especially with historically low interest rates that we have today. But when you have a surplus of animals, you can butcher them for food, you can have them for clothing, and for shelter. You can trade any surplus animals for gold, silver, grains, vegetables, or any other commodities or things you may need. Your livestock can provide you with most of your physical needs in one way or another. With sheep, you don't even need to butcher them. You can get what you need out of them. You can just shear them for wool or milk them for milk and cheese. But you need to protect your herds. Because that's, you know, that's where your wealth is, and that's where shepherds come in. And that's why the shepherd is so important. When you have large quantities of sheep, water is essential to keep them alive. Water rights have always been a major point of contention in history. Wars have been fought over water rights. And even today in western United States, <clears throat> where water is scarce at times, there's always disputes about water rights. In Genesis 25, Abraham even needs to make a covenant with Abimelech to prove that he dug the well himself. Therefore, the water rights were his. We actually find the same well, which is at Beersheba, again with our next shepherd patriarch, Isaac. Let's turn to Genesis 26, uh, chapter 14. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now, the Philistines had stopped. And filled, the, and filled with earth the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So I, Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Garar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, and he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land from there he went up to Beersheba and Yahweh appeared to him the same night and said I am the Elohim of Abraham your father fear not for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake so he built an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servant dug a well After this, Abimelech, who may or may not have been the Abimelech of Abraham's time, because Abimelech kind of seems is like my king, type it's a title name. But um, anyhow, Abimelech comes up to Isaac and he makes a treaty with him at the well at Beersheba, just like uh, they did with Abraham. And Isaac was able to live among Abimelech, uh, tending his sheep, as we are told in Genesis twenty six twelve. And we're not going to turn there, but it actually it says there that Isaac wasn't just a shepherd, but he was a crop farmer as well, because it said that he sowed the land and reaped a hundredfold. Now let's continue with this patriarch family and their shepherd life, um, and well, let's look at the next shepherd patriarch and his shepherdess wife. Let's turn to Genesis 29, starting in verse one. Then ja- then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land. Of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in, a, in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds ro- would roll away the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said to him, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. and then the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess, Ra'ah. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Excuse me for a second while I water myself. Jacob, <clears throat> Jacob obviously knew a thing or two about sheep. Here he is questioning the shepherds of Haran's practice of watering the sheep when they should, in his opinion, be out to pasture. So when his uncle's sheep came, he takes the matter into his own, own hands. It also seems to me that uh, a well is a common place to find a wife in the Near East. So any young guys that are looking for a wife, try finding a well. <laughs> so I'm not going to take the time to look at all the scriptures c- concerning Jacob and his life as a shepherd, since there are so many, but I do want to look of, at one more of particular interest. It's kind of a, a passage that a lot of people might steer away from, but it has to do with Jacob and his uh, sheep breeding practice. Uh, so let's turn to Genesis 30, next chapter, um, Starting in verse twenty nine. Now Jacob said to him, You yourselves know you yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock have fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and Yahweh has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob pasture you your flock and sheep or flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that has that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs is If found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Apparently, being a shepherd takes some negotiation skills as well, and Jacob had to deal, especially since Jacob had to deal with an uncle that tries to trick him and slight him around every corner. Let's keep reading, Um, pick back up in 37, then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places. "'where the flocks came to drink. "'And since they bred when they came to drink, "'the flocks bred in, in front of the sticks. "'And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. "'And Jacob separated the lambs "'and set the faces of the flock toward the striped "'and all the black in the flock of Laban. "'He put his own droves apart "'and did not put them with Laban's flock.' Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. So I like, I'm assuming many others, I'm a little perplexed by this passage. So, I did some research, and I found some helpful insight in an article by Answers in Genesis. So, uh, just as a side note, Answers in Genesis is actually a really good resource for creation science versus evolutionary science. I recommend you check them out. So, the the article is actually reasonably long. It has a lot of scientific data in it. But I'm just going to cite it and summarize their findings and um, bring out their main points. So the article is entitled, and I'm sorry I forgot to put it on the slide, but it's entitled "Jacob's Odd Breeding Program of Genesis 30" by Troy Lacy, um, and it was uh, from April 26th of 2019. The article starts out, or starts out by pointing out the or the importance of being able to actually explain this scripture, since many will just kind of write it off as folklore, or Many others actually use it to debase the scriptures as just a bunch of tales, wives' tales. Next, they point out that most people think it's a sight-based trick, since the English translations translate the Hebrew as set the faces of the flocks towards and before the eyes of the flocks, when in reality the Hebrew simply means he put them before the flock. But the most important point they point out is that they put them in the watering troughs, which is where the medicinal effects of, the, of the, the herbal medicinal effects of these trees, the tree bark, comes in, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. And they, they bring it up in the end of the article. But the key point that they actually make is that it comes down to the genetics of the sheep. Now, it states that all the speckled and spotted were removed from the flock. However, even the solid-colored co- animals have an underlying genetic trait to reproduce and produce the speckled and spotted sheep and goats. So Jacob was actually given divine insight into this. Uh, If we read in thirty-one Genesis 31, verse 6, it says, "'You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But Elohim did not permit him to harm me. If he said, "'The spotted shall be your wages,' then all the flocks bore spotted.'" And if he said, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore stripe. Thus, Elohim has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of Elohim said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molded, or mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So ultimately here, it was actually a providential hand of Yahweh upon Jacob. And the division, and the visions that he had that actually guided his process. But there was an actual scientific genetic you know, grounds behind it. It was that the, these, the father of these sheep were going to produce little ones that were speckled and spotted. Um, so where do the sticks come in well the article goes on to explain that the bark of these different sticks contain the certain desired herbal properties and remedies and um, so they, they cite um, several studies that are done on different supplements that are made from the bark of these three trees that are listed and it actually goes on that so it states that poplar supplements will actually increase the reproduction reprodu- reproductivity rates in the ewes by 20 to 30 percent. So the poplar was there to, to increase the, the, their ability to reproduce. The almond branches um, actually give benefits for the ruminants in treating um, urogen, urogenital diseases and disorders. So that would help them with bearing. The, the ewes would be able to actually carry their, um, their, their little ones better. And also, um, it increases their milk production. And then the last one, the oriental plane tree, or the plantis orientalis, has anti-inflammatory and gastrointestinal benefits. So these, these three different herbs, you know, were actually like an herbal remedy. So we find out that it's not just a bunch of witchcraft or sorcery that Jacob was trying to do here. He was using real science by a divinely guided hand. He was a shepherd that knew what he was doing and he was blessed by Yahweh um, according to the promises of Abraham. So I thought that was some nice information. You know, it's, I've always looked at that and kind of think it's a bunch of whatever, You know, but it's, now it's actually, you know, there's something behind it. So <clears throat> now Jacob was blessed with a large flock and also a large family. And as we're going to see in a little while, there's a huge amount of pro- prophetic significance to Jacob or Israel being a shepherd since the children of Israel will ultimately become Yahweh's flock. Now, let's take a look at the end of Israel's life, when Jacob and his sons go down to live um, with Joseph in Egypt. In uh, Genesis 46, verse 31, it says, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household... Who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So before we go any further, let's pause and consider why shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. So the commentators actually have a few different opinions on this, but I have come to settle on two that make sense and actually go hand in hand. The first reason has to do with the Hyksos, or the shepherd kings that came from Canaan and ruled in Egypt for a period of time, Somewhere, and it, it, there's there's two timelines or several timelines to Egypt, but it was somewhere right around the time of Joseph, either before or after. And it's even believed that there were still some Hyksos in southern Egypt during Joseph's time. And it's also plausible that the Israelites themselves were considered Hyksos, but that's actually another deep study uh, for another day. I don't have really time to get into, or um, don't want to touch it today. But it's interesting nonetheless. But the second reason is because, the Israel, because of the Israelites' custom of sacrificing their livestock to Yahweh and of eating them. Um, as many of the animals, sheep and, and oxen, were actually worshipped by the Egyptians. Uh, not to mention the fact that shepherds were, in the Egyptians' eyes, looked down upon um, because the Egyptians, you know, they, you know, the shepherds were unshaven, they were ill-dressed, and they were actually in the lowest classes of Egyptian society, um, where um, within Yahweh's people, They were Yahweh's people, the shepherds. But I think that's just the way Yahweh's flock is always viewed by the world. When we follow his Torah and we seek to serve him, we do seem different and odd to the world. But that's okay with me because the ways of the world and pagan culture are not Yahweh's way. We are called to be different. We're called to be set apart from the world. And many times we are blessed in in being set apart in ways that are not considered by the world itself. So we know then in Genesis 47, 1, that Pharaoh actually grants the request um, for the land of Goshen. And he even actually puts some of his flocks um, under the charge of the Israelites. So they were given the best land in Egypt to dwell in. And from there we know they prosper and grow into a great nation, which leads us to our next shepherd-to-be, Moses. So we all know that Moses started out in the house of Pharaoh, in the world, if you, would, if you will. But upon realizing his roots, and through a series of events, he comes out of there. And then we read in Exodus 2, um, if we turn to Exodus 2, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. And this is obviously uh, when he heard that Moses had killed the Egyptian. He, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father well, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. There you go again, a woman by the well. I don't know, whenever I talk about a well, I get thirsty. So even the priest of Midian was a shepherd, which actually shouldn't be surprising at all when you consider that, um, that, that Jethro was actually a descendant of Abraham through his wife Keturah. So we find in Exodus 3.1 that Moses takes up the profession of a shepherd. And this is what brings him close to Yahweh in his encounter at the burning bush. So Exodus 3.1 it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of Elohim. So without Going further into Moses, we all know that Moses became the shepherd of the people of Israel and he leads them out of Egypt and back to this mountain, the mountain of Yahweh, which I know you all know. So, next, though, after Moses, Joshua, the son of Nun, is made shepherd in Israel in place of Moses to bring the people into the promised land. Numbers, uh, we actually find this in Numbers 27, verse 15. It says that Moses spoke to Yahweh, saying, Let Yahweh, the Elohim of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of Yahweh may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So Yahweh said to Moses, Take Joshua, or Yahshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands upon him. So what I'm trying to establish here with the patriarchs through Joshua is that Yahweh's people started out as shepherds themselves. They went down to Egypt as a small flock and came out as a large one with Moses as their shepherd who then passed the task on to Joshua and then Joshua passed it on to the judges and through the whole line of the judges it came on to Saul who was the first king of Israel. After Saul... We come to one of the most famous shepherds in the scriptures. Let's turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to jump ahead now to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll skip down to verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet one, or yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. Now we know who this boy is, and we can see here that, it, you know, as Samuel, to give a little context, I'm sure most of you know, but the context, Samuel was looking for the next king of Israel, and he was told by Yahweh to go to the house of Jesse, and out of his sons, he would choose the next king. So, but Yahweh took the least of the family, the one that was out in the field with the sheep, the youngest shepherd boy, and he raised this young shepherd boy to be king of all Israel. Through whose line comes the Messiah, but not without its own trials. So we know that, um, just looking now, I want to dive into the life of David just a little bit, uh, his early life. And let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear... And took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered him from its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living Elohim. And David said, Yahweh, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, Go, and Yahweh be with you. Now, I'd love to sit here and read the rest of the story of David and Goliath to you. It's one of my favorites, but for the sake of time, just remember the verse. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the Elohim of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Because we all know that there is salvation in the name of Yahweh. But through this, the young shepherd strikes down and cuts off the head of the champion of the Philistines. Hallelujah. So as Yahweh did for David, so he will do for us in our lives. But we have to remember to have the faith of David. That to be able to have that faith to go up against the giants in our lives without fear. Because we can remember that we have the good shepherd on our side. So now, since we got to David, as I promised in the beginning, we're going to jump to Psalm 23 and break it down a little bit. It's—I know it's a, a favorite and kind of an often overquoted Psalm by many in the world, but I still want to look at it because there is a there's a lot to be had there, and I actually think it's a, it, I believe it's a prophetic Psalm, as we'll see. Psalm 23, verse one: Yahweh is my shepherd; I shall not want. This first verse is plain enough, but in my opinion, many English translations, um, in many English translations, it's a little misleading, or at least poorly worded. Um, I, it, and I, I get this from when I was a kid, and I used to hear it, and I used to think, why would I not want Yahweh as my shepherd? I, it just, but as I soon came to realize, the phrase had much different meaning than what was in my simple head as a child. The Hebrew simply says, Yahweh, Ra'ah, Lo, Hasier. Lo means no, we're not in Hebrew, and Hasier means to lack. So we are to be without lacking, or be without need, or to not have a need. So the Hebrew employs a double negative of sorts to emphasize that he won't let us be without our basic needs. Now, he's not saying that we will have everything he wants but he will feed us and he will clothe us like the sparrows of the air and the lilies of the field. Uh, we find in verse 2, moving on to verse 2, he makes me lie down in Greek pastures, so he gives us our food, and he leads us beside still waters. There's that word water again. It's interesting to note that the word for pasture is na'a, which is kind of similar sounding to our word shepherd ra'a, but it's nun aleph hay, but Na'ah means a home, figuratively a pasture, a habitation, a house, or a pleasant place. Also to note that the um, phrase translated as still waters may actually be better translated as peaceful waters or gentle waters. Uh, the Hebrew word Menukah refers to a resting place. So I would picture this as a gentle brook as opposed to stagnant waters or even as opposite of a raging river. But basically, this verse describes an idealistic place, the kingdom. It's where all your needs are at your fingertips. You're laying down in a beautiful meadow where your food is right there. And I would imagine that this meadow is free from ticks and chiggers for anybody that's worried about it, you know. (laughs) But this meadow is next to a, a tranquil stream where we get our water. He, he gives us our needs right there. Verse 3 says he, that he restores our soul. I think it would be a restoration to, to have all your needs at your fingertips. And he leads us in paths of righteousness. Zedekah, for his name's sake. And just keep in mind that when he returns, when Yahshua returns again, his name is going to be Yahweh Zidkenu. Um, Yahweh our Righteousness. So the word for soul in this verse is nefesh. This word nefesh was used back in Genesis 2, and that's the, the breath that is breathed into the, the clay vessel to give it life. And Yahweh leads us in this path of righteousness, the zedek, the Zadik. And just remember that it is this righteous branch in which we are grafted into. We're going to talk about that branch a little bit later. We'll just kind of round, up the, round out the psalm. And the, this picture, by the way, is on the Negev Desert in Israel. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. The rest of the psalm illustrates how with Yahweh as our shepherd there is never a reason for fear. We can find comfort in him because ultimately all things will work out for good. Now, let's transition into the prophetic significance of Israel as us being the sheep of Yahweh and what happens in between the time of David and the good shepherd. So, the first prophecy that we see um, of, yeah, of the sheep being scattered is in 1 first, first Kings 22. After the division of the kingdoms, things rapidly degraded. So I'd actually like to read this whole chapter, and if you were in the Bible study this morning, Sister Ruth kind of talked about it a little bit, um, coincidentally. Um, but for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, and then we'll quote the relevant pa- pa- passage here. During the reigns of King... Jehoshaphat of Judah and King Ahab of Israel, the two kingdoms actually had peace with one another, with each other, because <clears throat> um, they were actually seeking to work together to fight against a Syrian invasion that was taking place. Ahab asked the king of Judah to help him. In turn, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, suggests that they seek Yahweh before they go up. So they turn to the false prophets of Israel who tell them to go up because they will win. The one prophet even gets all animated. He makes himself an iron horn, and he does this whole dance to indicate that they will push the Assyrians out like a bull. But apparently, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, isn't convinced by this display. Or fooled. He's not fooled by it. And he asks if there is yet another prophet that they may inquire of. And Ahab said there is yet one, Micaiah of whom he isn't a fan because he never speaks, speaks favorably of him. But they inquire of him nonetheless. And at first he tells them sarcastically to go up because that's what the other ones say. But then when he's pushed, he says to them, and he said, and this is the, the verse that's quoted here in First Kings twenty two seventeen, And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Micaiah then goes on to explain that the other prophets were, speak, were speaking by a lying spirit sent by Yahweh to entice Ahab to go up, to be struck down. So Micaiah is actually thrown into prison. Then the armies go up against, the, against Assyria, where Ahab is struck down with an arrow and dies, thus fulfilling the word of Yahweh. After years of battle with the Assyrians, they eventually capture the northern tribes, the house of Israel, and take them into exile where they are scattered around the world. When we consider this prophecy of the sheep of the house of Israel being scattered, scattered in the world, throughout the world, the words of Yahshua should carry more weight and significance to us when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was quoting Matthew 15 verse 24. Is what most people are that is what most people are today. They're lost sheep. Most of them have no shepherd, or worse yet, they have false shepherds that intentionally lead them astray. As a side note, when we are looking at the prophets here, I believe that most of these prophets were shepherds um they were actually shepherds himself. And we know for a fact that Amos was a shepherd. We see in Amos 1.1 the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two late years before the earthquake. So, you know, the, for sure Amos was a shepherd. Many of these other prophets, I believe, were shepherds. Now, as we continue on with the the prophetic significance of the scattering and ultimately the the regathering of Israel, we really have to turn to Ezekiel 34. And we're actually going to spend some time here. I'm going to try to break this down as much as possible. So let's start in verse 1 in Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says Adonai Yahweh, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My shepherd, or my sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, a high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, with none. To search or seek them. Ezekiel's prophecy begins with condemning the shepherds or the kings and the leaders, the prophets, the priests, for not caring for the flock. He is speaking from experience. That is, Ezekiel is speaking from experience since he is prophesying from exile in Babylon, a lost and scattered sheep himself. It is my opinion that this prophecy covers more than just then. It's not just about the time of Ezekiel. This is in reference to the lost sheep of the physical and the spiritual house of Israel. It's not just directed to the kings of old, of old Israel and to Judah, but to all the false teachers out there, teachers out there leading Yah's people astray, teaching them it's okay to transgress His Torah, teaching them to to accept whatever the new social norm is and not stand by what is right and true. Let's carry, keep going on here. Um, verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, declares Adonai Yahweh, surely because my sheep have become prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves. And have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Adonai Yahweh, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Is this not what happened to Israel? And is it not happening today? The breakdown of the churches and the moral fabric of society being torn? What people expose their kids to anymore is horrific. I was at the fair um, last week or the other week, and we're walking through the, the kind of carnival part, and there's this, like, magician show. And the kids, you know, all the parents are sitting in the stands. They have their kids sitting up in front of this. And it's not just this little simple trick. I mean trick magician this was like the guy looked like a demon himself was dressed almost as a demon all the whole back thing was just all demonic and here the kids are you know the people are just you know putting their kids right up in front of this whole magic show and it's just to me it's horrific what people will let their kids they're just feeding their their kids to the wolves or the lions we have to be aware ourselves we need to make sure we practice what we preach and not just lead others astray Notice Ezekiel isn't using the term false here. He's just saying the shepherds. But now for the good news in Ezekiel's prophecy. Yahweh as our shepherd. Verse 11. For thus says Adonai Yahweh, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them sorry and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country I will feed them with good pasture and on a mountain heights and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel I myself will be their shepherd will be the shepherd of my sheep And I myself will make them lie down, declares Adonai Yahweh. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Here is Yahweh's great promise. He will redeem us and bring us back to him, and cause us to dwell securely under his care. With him as shepherd and David, or with him as the shepherd. Just as David prophesied in Psalm 23, Yahweh becomes our shepherd and brings us back to him, a prophetic regathering of the house of Israel. No longer will we be under the kings of the earth that seek just to feed themselves and put people to forced labor and forced medical experiments, living as slaves to the Babylonian system. For their purpose of evil and corporate greed. But he gives us this this final um, prophecy in Ezekiel uh, 34, 17. As for you, my flock, thus says Adonai Yahweh, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? That you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says Adonai Yahweh to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad i will rescue my flock they shall no longer be prey be a prey and i will judge between sheep and sheep and i will set up over them one shepherd my servant david and he shall feed them he shall feed them and be their shepherd and i yahweh will be their elohim and my servant david shall be prince among them i am yahweh i have spoken we all must be aware Here, Yahweh is warning us that he will judge between all people based on how we treat one another. Are we treading down the food and water of others? This is a good thing for us to reflect on. Also here it is said that David, but more so Yahshua, the descendant of David, will be shepherd over all of us, as we will soon see. So let's finish out this uh, prophecy in Ezekiel 34 with Yahweh's covenant of peace. I will make with them a covenant of peace and will banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am Yahweh when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who have enslaved them. And they shall no more be prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned, planta- renowned planta- plantations so that they may, shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land. And no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. They shall know that I am Yahweh, their Elohim, them with them. And that they, the house of Israel, my people, declares Adonai Yahweh. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your Elohim, declares Adonai Yahweh. Is this not an amazing prophecy? How awesome is that? Dwelling securely in the wilderness, sleeping in the woods, no screens or devices, just the Creator, his people, and his unadulterated creation. Sign me up. I guess I already am, but I just need to make sure that we stay on the, on the straight, narrow path. I hope it, it excites everyone else like it does me. Now, let's look at the connection of shepherds with Yahshua's birth. So when the wise men come from the east, looking for the newborn king after Yahshua's birth, they come to Herod and inquire, he, in turn, asks the scribes where the Messiah would be born, and they give him this answer. In Matthew 2.6, it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This actually is a combination of two different verses. Micah 5.2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah." Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And it's from uh, and then the uh, scribes of his days combine that with Second uh, Samuel five two. In past time, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out, speaking of David, it was David who led us out and brought in Israel. And Yahweh said to you, you shall be a shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So this is the beginning of the Ezekiel prophecy that that we were just reading. The wise men came to see that Yahshua, Yahweh's salvation, will be our shepherd. And Luke we have this amazing story of Yahshua's birth. Um, so in the same region, in Luke 2.8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to them, and the glory of Yahweh shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that that will be for all people. For until you, or for unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Messiah, the Master, and this will be a sign for you: you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising Elohim and saying, "Glory to El in the highest." and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which Yahweh has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Miriam and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but miriam treasured up these things pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising yahweh for all they had heard and seen and as it had as it had been told them this is an amazing story and it always brings goosebumps down my arms now i know that churchianity has hijacked this story for their xmas celebrations But don't let that stop you from embracing this awesome revelation. This was an extreme revelation. It's saying that that he was going to provide a shepherd, our Savior here. Can you imagine being one of those humble shepherds, though? Lying out under the starry night in early fall, not in the middle of winter, when all of a sudden the angel of Yahweh appears to you and declares the arrival of Mashiach. Then all of a sudden a multitude of heavenly hosts begin to sing praise to the Almighty. Here is proof that the amazing mysteries of Yahweh are revealed to those with a humble, lowly heart, not necessarily those with wealth and power. Now, I see what time it is. I'm going to keep moving on here. So let's look at what Yahshua has to say about being a shepherd. John 10, verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, That man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A a stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Yahshua used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. What is Yahshua's voice? What did he teach? Torah, compassion, love, love of Yahweh, love of one another. This is what he teaches. So Yahshua again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. They're going to go in and find that green pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd, who does not <clears throat> who does not or who does not own the sheep, sees the root the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. We know Yahshua is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for us that we could hear his good news and have eternal life. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Here, Yahshua is speaking of the bringing together of the two sticks of Ezekiel 37 and the grafting of Romans 11. In Matthew 25, Joshua tells us how he will be the shepherd spoken of in Ezekiel thirty-four, seventeen through 24 and how he will judge between the flocks. Um just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this whole one, but we know here, well, I'll, I'll read the first one and then I'll kind of depart from the second one and just give you the cliff notes. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as, she- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Remember in Ezekiel 34, it says he's going to judge between sheep and sheep. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, these things that he's about to quote were all quoted in Ezekiel 34 For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, "Master, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you?" And the king will answer them, "Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me." This is why we must treat others with kindness and compassion. Treat others how you would be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just because we keep the Sabbath and the feasts and eat kosher and call on his name doesn't automatically give us entrance into this kingdom. If we're not going to be kind to others, we may end up counted with the goats that we read about starting in 41. So basically, just to to keep from reading this whole thing and, and get moving here so I can come down off this stage... You know, he says the same thing, you know, you didn't take care of me when you saw me, and they said, well, when did we not do this? And he said, well, when you did it to the least of anyone else, you did it to me. So let's all strive to listen to the voice of the good shepherd and follow his ways, that we may walk into his pastures of eternal life. You know, there's so many more scriptures that I could have quoted here of, you know, Yahshua talking about, you know, the the parable of the shepherd and, you know, would he not leave his one, you know, his 99 to go and get his one and, um, you know, when he t- tells Peter to feed his sheep, there's so many things I could have kept quoting here, but I knew I wouldn't have had enough time. But I do want to leave you with this last scripture of promise. If we are the generation that will experience the great tribulation, which I believe we very well may be, we <clears throat> then we need to cling to these words in Revelation 7, verse 14. I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, And he will guide them to the springs of living water, and Yahweh will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, I hope this message has blessed you. I hope that you will take a deeper thought and meaning to what it is to be a shepherd, and a deeper thought and meaning into what it is that Yahshua is our good shepherd. And I pray that you will allow Yahweh to be the shepherd in your life. May Yahweh bless you.